In the previous parak, so the Medrash, which we didn't learn yet, but in the previous parak in Memhei, so the Medrash goes through the whole story of the Chet HaEgel, of the golden calf that the Jews did at Har Sinai. Now it's going to speak about what happened at Har Sinai in a more general way about Matan Torah and about the aftermath of the story of the golden calf. Rebbe Yezeb ben Azariah Oimer. Rebbe Yezeb ben Azariah says, Erev Shabbos b'shisha l'chodesh, on Erev Shabbos, on a Friday, b'shisha l'chodesh, on the 6th of the month, meaning the 6th day of Sivan, which, ha- which we're saying came on, on a Friday, b'shisha l'chodesh, at 6 hours into the day, meaning midday, kiblu Yisrael as a dibros. The Jews uh, accepted the, 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 the dibros, the the words of Hashem, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. It's an interesting thing. The Gemara in Masechah Shabbos brings a argument between two sages, between the, I mean, between the Chachamim and between the sages, between the Chachamim and the Rabbi Yaisi, sorry, between the Chachamim and Rabbi Yaisi, what day was Matan Torah? Did the Jews accept the Torah on Vav Sivan or in Zayin Sivan? That's the Machlekes in the Gemara. And the Gemara says, but everybody agrees that the Torah was given on Shabbos. That's what the Gemara says. Everyone agrees the Torah was given on Shabbos. The question is, did, was, was Vav Sivan Shabbos or was Zion Sivan Shabbos? And the Gemara says that the, 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 the Machlekes is really how to calculate the calendar of that year. How to, you know, was, was Nisan, uh, Nisan was full, but was ER a full month or not a full month or whatever, to come out which, what day of the week was 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 uh, Matan Torah was if if we're I mean assuming Matan Torah was on Shabbos what day of the month was was that Shabbos was it Vav Sivan or Zayin Sivan right so we celebrate Shavuos on Vav and Zayin Sivan or really Vav Sivan and Chutzlar is Vav and Zayin but that's the Machlekes in the Gemara and Shabbos so over here Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah is taking an opinion that's not like either of those two opinions of the Gemara. He's saying that, no, first of all, it was on Erev Shabbos. It wasn't on Shabbos. And second of all, it was on the 6th of the, of the, of the month, of the 6th of Sivan, not the 7th of Sivan. Meaning, in the Gemara, there's an opinion that holds that the 6th of Sivan was Erev Shabbos. But that, yeah, but that opinion holds that the Torah was given on Zion, Shabbos, Zion Sivan. Because the Gemara says everyone agrees that the Torah was given on Shabbos. Rabbi Loza ben Azariah holds like that opinion in understanding the, the, the structure of the calendar for that year, but disagrees that the Torah was given on Zion. He says, no, it wasn't given on Zion, it was given on Vav, which was Arab Shabbos. But that's the, the, this, this line over here, vis-a-vis the Gemara and Shabbos. There's an interesting piece in the, the Mishnah Brewer. He writes in Hilchas Shvuas, the Mishnah Brewer brings one of the reasons why do we eat milchigs dairy products specifically on Shavuos. So the Mishabura says that one of the reasons is because when they got the Torah, so they didn't have any fleshig vessels. They didn't have meat, meaty vessels to, to cook their meat in. So therefore, they, they specifically ate milchig, dairy products. That's what the Mishabura says. Now elsewhere, the same person, the, Mishabura, the author of the Mishabura, the Chofetz Chaim, Rabbi Solmer Kagan, so he writes in a different sefer of his called Likutei Alachas on Masechus Chulun, in the back of Lukut Yalachas, he writes that, he brings this opinion again, and he says that that opinion in why we eat milk on Shavuos only works according to Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah that the Torah is given on Friday. 
Because if the Torah is given on Shabbos, even if you had fleshy dishes, you can't cook meat anyways because it's Shabbos. You can't cook. So you have to say that that whole, uh, that whole understanding only goes with your Belezer ben Azariah who said that the Torah is given on Friday. Another point over here, this is a very interesting idea, Rebeliomi Izmir says that the Torah was, the, the, the matter says the Torah is given on Friday on the 6th of the month at 6 hours into the day. So he says, you know, we're giving all these details, what's, what's the point in giving all these details? He says that the Rem is an allusion to how the Geula in the future is going to be. It says, you know, Chazal tell us that there's 6,000 years, uh, 6,000 6, year periods of the world, of the world's existence, right? So he says that in the 6,000th, in the 6th millennium, meaning in the, you know, 5,000 whatever, in the 6th millennium, the, it, it, the, the Mashiach is going to come. Because just like the Torah was given on the sixth day of the of the of the week on Friday, which is the sixth day of the week, six out of seven, so the Torah is going to be given in the sixth millennium, the six out of seven of the millennia. The, the gul is going to happen then. And so it's just like the Medrash says that it happened on Arab Shabbos, six hours into the day, halfway into the day. So too, he says that that's going to that's going to be mimicked in what year the gul is going to happen. So if you if you make a cheshbon, what what he's the implications of what he's saying is like this that it's going to be five thousand something, right? Five, what, so five thousand what? So you have to do six hours into the day, which if six hours into the day is really three three fourths hour three fourths of the day because you have the whole night which is twelve hours six hours into the day which is eighteen, right? And then you have the rest of the day which is which is the last fourth of the day. So you have three fourths of hours, three fourths into the day. So you have three fourths into. He's saying that three fourths into the sixth millennia, that's when Mashiach is going to come. That's what he says. So what does that come out to? That comes out to the year five thousand seven hundred and fifty, right? Because three fourths is 75 percent, which is you know out of a thousand is is, is seven hundred and fifty, right? You got that? Now the year five thousand seven hundred and fifty is of course nineteen ninety. So it, it seems like he's wrong. I don't know. But the Rebbe made a very big deal about that year. About the year 1990? What did he say? He, he said it was the year of miracles and, and everything else because he, he brought that down, what you're saying. Really? He mentioned this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, also, it could be that there are Mepharshim that say that because we got out of Mitzrayim early, so there's extra years to the, to the Gullus that are supposed to be appended to our current Gullus. So like maybe if you add in it, really the gula for the end of Argolus is supposed to be 1990, and if you add in a few more years to make up for, the, for to finish off the 400 and ten, the 400 years that we were supposed to be in Mitzrayim, so then maybe it'll be a little bit it'll be a little bit longer. So maybe it's not completely wrong. I don't know. Well, we'll just we'll, we should merit to see it, and, and it'll happen in our days. Fine. So that was six hours into the day. That's when they got the Torah on Arab Shabbos. Now, how long did Matan Torah happen? A, a, a lot of people ask this question. Well, the Medrash explains it. The Medrash says, Nine hours into the day, the Jews returned to their tents. So, the Matan Torah started six hours into the day, let's say 12 o'clock in the afternoon, and they went back home nine hours into the day, which is about three o'clock in the afternoon. Fine. Medrash says an interesting line. It says, 
and the man was prepared for them for two days. Because we're talking about Friday. On Friday there was double man. So it says the man was prepared for them for two days. Not sure what exactly is it trying to say over here. It could be, and it seems like the Marzu is sort of trying to say this idea, and maybe the Radal is also saying this, that the Medrash is trying to answer a question. You know, if they were so busy, they came home 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday, how, where did they get ready for Shabbos? Like when they start doing their preparations. So the Medrash is sort of answering that question by saying, no, all, everything was already prepared. They didn't have to worry about cooking or whatever because they already had their mun from early in the morning. The mun came early in the morning, so they were already prepared. They were good for Friday and Shabbos, and they didn't have to do any preparations, so they could, you know, they could go home at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's not such a big deal. It could be that's what the Medrash is saying over here. Lefichach, says the Medrash, therefore, they rested on that Shabbos. They were happy with the happiness of the Chag, of the Yom Tov. Now, the Radah asks the question, he says, what do you mean? We said the Torah was given on the 6th of Sivan, right? So this next day, that Shabbos, is the 7th of Sivan, that's not Shavuos anymore. So what does it mean? They're happy with the happiness of the Yom Tov. It's not really Yom Tov. It's, it's seventh of Sivan is not really Shavuos. In Chutzlars we do seventh of Sivan, but really Shavuos is the sixth. So the Radal says that you have to change the gears. It says, Smechem Kesim Chasachag. They were happy that Shabbos as if it was a Yom Tov. It wasn't, it wasn't really treated as a Yom Tov. It was, they treated it, it was, the happiness was on the level as if it was a Yom Tov, but it wasn't, they didn't treat it as an actual Yom Tov. Why were they so happy? Because then they heard the voice of Hashem. Shinamat says in the Pasuk, who is a who of flesh heard the voice of the living God speak? The end of the Pasuk says, speaking from the fire, like like we did and, and, and survived. Who like who was able to hear Hashem speak like us and, and survive? Nobody. So they were very happy, and that was the cause for this great happiness that they had on that day. Fine. So that was the story of Matantaira in the, the first stage of, of Matantaira. They got they heard it from Hashem and they were happy and they, they, there was there was a Shabbos afterwards, etc. Now afterwards, Omar Kadish Bahulu Maisha Bilashe Nikia. Hashem said to Maisha Bainu Bilashe Nikia in a clean language, in a clean expression. He said to him, Lech Amarli Yisrael Luchu Ishla Ahala. He said, Go tell the Jews that each person should go to his tent. Shinamar it says in the Pasuk, Lech Amar Lahem Shuvu Lachem Lahalechem. It says, Go tell them that they should return to their tents. So what does it mean their tents? So their tent is a, an allusion to their wives. They didn't want to say their wives straight out because you know that's not considered that's not considered proper speech. So the lush and the was said in a clean way, in a, in a nice way of saying it. It didn't say go back to your wife. It said you know, go go back to your tent. It's also trying to be ramis that what what a person does with his wife should be in a tent, shouldn't be publicized, shouldn't be in a public area. That's that, that's what it means. Return to your tent because previously. Hashem had told the Jews that they have to separate from their wives in, the, in anticipation of Matan Torah. They have to separate their wives. You should prepare for three days. Don't approach a woman. means you should separate from your wife for, th- before, for three days before Matan Torah. So now Hashem is saying you, you can go back to your wife. Everyone can go back to their wife. I mean, it, there's also, it's a little bit technical, and I don't want to really get into this over here. 
But there is a discussion over what is, what's the purpose of this puzzle where it says, go back to Shuvu Lechem Lechem, you return to your, wife, to, your, to your tents, return to your wives. What's the purpose of it? Is it coming to tell you that it, they were previously forbidden to their wives and now we're saying now you're permitted to wives? Is that all it's coming to do, just to rescind the original prohibition? Or is it coming to tell us a, another verse that's going to be the mitzvah of Puravu? Is this Pasuk another mitzvah of Puravu? It's another instance of the mitzvah? Or is it just coming to tell you that what was forbidden now, before, is, is now mutter? There's different ways to look at it, and whatever, it's a technical question, but there is such a, a discussion. Fine. Says the Medish, Yochoil af Tashuf. You would have thought that when Hashem said that everyone should return to their tents, so he was saying, also you, Maisha Benu, you should also return to your tent, return to your wife. Elamilamid, rather, it's coming to teach you, From the day that the Torah is given to the Jews, Moshe Rabbeinu did not approach his wife. Shinamrat says the Pasuk, And you should stand over here with me. That's what Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu. He said, Everyone return to your tents, but you, Moshe, should stand over here with me. Wasn't Sipora gone, anyways? We learned later that she wasn't there for Matan Torah when Yisrael. Yisro came. It's a Shiloh when Yisro came. Yisro if Yisro came. came before Matan Torah, if Yisro came after Matan Torah. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's a good. Yeah, I hear what you're asking. The, uh, uh, that was Aaron the Miriam's one. Of, wasn't complaint. Complaint. complaint yeah. yeah. That he wasn't with her. That he wasn't with his wife. Right. Because that was obviously. It's also a year later. I mean, there's a, there's a similar Gemara. The Gemara says. That Gemara Yevamah says that Moshe Rabbeinu did three things of his of his own uh, of his own uh, decision of his own choice. One of them was that he separated from his wife. One of them was that he broke the luchos, and one of them was that he added an extra day of preparation before Matan Torah. So when it says that he decided to separate from his wife, so the Gemara says that he made a kavachomer. He said that just like when Hashem wanted to speak to Bnei Yisrael, so they had to separate for their wives. So me, who Hashem can speak to me unexpectedly, and I don't know when He's going to speak to me, so for sure I should separate from my wife. So that's why He separated from His wife. And the Gemara says, and Hashem agreed to him, post facto, and that's why it says, Hashem said, you should stand with me. Post facto, Hashem agreed to him. So in the Gemara, it sounds like it was coming, the idea that He should separate from His wife was coming from Moshe Benu himself. Over here, it sounds like it came from Hashem. Okay, it's a, a slight... A slight variation. But the Radal brings that in the Zohar, it says that from the time that Hashem spoke to Moshe at the burning bush, from then on he separated from his wife. And he finds an allusion to this in the Pasuk. The Zohar finds an allusion to this in the Pasuk. It says, Take your shoe off your foot. So somehow that has to do with marriage or something like that. I don't know. I don't exactly understand it, but that's what the Radal says. Because in Chalitza. But yeah, by Chalitza, you take, the woman takes off the shoe. So, okay, so it's, it's still, it still requires an explanation. I don't know exactly. Fine, let's go back there. Let's go further. Rabbi Shubin Karcha Aymer. Rabbi Shubin Karcha says, Arboim Yoim Asa Meisha Bahar. spent 40 days on the mountain. Now we're, we're saying that right, the matter was Bashvuas, Pavur, Zion, Sivan, or whatever. Meisha went, I, I, the, the Jews after. After the original giving of the Torah, so the Jews went back to their tents. Moshe Rabbeinu stayed up with Hashem. 
So Moshe Rabbeinu stayed up in Hashem. Our boy Miriam also Moshe Bahar. Moshe Rabbeinu stayed at the mountain for 40 days. read Mikra during the day, meaning he read, let's say, Tanakh or Tarshah during the day, and he was learning Mishnah at night. He was learning Mishnah, meaning he was studying Tarshah Pet at night. So we're going to focus a little bit on this. What's Why is he's studying Tafka Tarshah during the day and Tarshah Pet at night? We're going to have to focus on that a little bit. But. It's the Pashat 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 Pashat. The Bayes Agolol says, and the Radal say that the Pashat is that. Well, it's very simple. Torah Shabbat is written down. Now, if you want to learn something that's written down, you want to be able to read it. So you need light. You need to be able to see it. So when is there light during the day? So that's why you learn Torah Shabbat during the day. Torah Shabbat Peh, you don't need to see anything. You you, you know it by heart. So Torah Shabbat Peh is the oral Torah. Is you have it in your head or you, you have it verbally, so you don't need light. So you can learn it at night. So you learn that at night. That's like the Pashup Shat. Now the Rikanti, for, there's a few discussions over here. But let, let, let's start like this. The, the Rikanti, one of the early Kabbalah Svarim, he brings down a Parshas Yisrael. The Rikanti writes like this. He says, Vida, you should know. Kitzarech Odom, a man has to lehisasik b'Torish b'Chasabayim u'v'Torish b'Alpebalayla. A man has to study Torah Shabbat during the day and Torah Shabbat at night. That's what the Rikanti says. Meaning, he's bringing, and he brings our Medrash over here. So he's bringing our Medrash as a source for how, to under, how one should go about learning Torah. Specifically, Torah Shabbat during the day, Torah Shabbat at night. And we'll explain exactly why this should be. But just at face value, what he says over here. The Chidah and Birki Yosef also bring this down, and the Be'er Hetev also brings this down. So it's brought down in the Halachas farm. The Torah Shabbat during the day, Torah Shabbat at night. Now, that sounds like, let's say, you're not supposed to learn Torah Shabbat at night. That's what it seems to be saying. Right? So why is, why is that true? So Mishnah Brewer writes in Arachayim, Simon Rish, Lamed Ches, Sharetzi, and Sivkot and Aleph. Mishnah Brewer writes, no, it doesn't mean that there's an Isser to learn Torah Shabbat at night. The written Torah at night. Rather, it means that if you have Torah Shabbat, you have written Torah to learn. If you want to learn it during the day or during the night, it's better to learn it during the day than, than to learn it at night. But it doesn't mean you're not allowed to learn it during the night. It just means that it's better during the day than during the night. Right? That that's that's the halachic aspect. But the idea is what's the what's the machshava aspect over here of why Torah Shabbat, the written Torah, is supposed to be studied during the day? What does it have to do with day and the oral Torah? What does it have to do with night? Well, what's going on over here? So it's like this. When we talk about day and night, so you could say like this. Day and night is the day is typified by the sun and the night is typified by the moon. And once we understand that, we could say like this. The, the relationship between the sun and the moon is a relationship between a mashpia and a makabal. One who influences and one who receives influence. The sun, the moon doesn't have its own light. The, the shine of the moon is really a reflection of the, of the light of the sun coming from the moon. Right? So the sun is really the one that's giving the hashpa, the one who's giving off the influence, influencing something else. And the moon is receiving its influence from, from, from the sun. So the, moon, the, the sun typifies the giver of influence, and the moon typifies the re- recipient of influence. Yeah? Another, I, another difference between the sun and the moon is the way it works, is the sun is more or less the same sun every single day. It's one ball over there in the sky, it doesn't change. 
it, it's, it's, yeah, it doesn't change. The moon, on the other hand, waxes and wanes. It gets bigger, it gets smaller, it changes around, whatever. That, that's the way the moon works. Another difference is that the sun stays in the same place. It's static. It's stationary. It doesn't move. The sun, everything revolves around the sun. But the sun itself stays in the middle. The moon, on the other hand, is the opposite. The moon revolves around us. Goes around us. So, the, so in, in, a, in a way, if you want to compare it to the relationship between a man and a woman, which, if you know a little bit of, mytho- of, of, of pagan mythology, that's what they do in a lot of places. You know, Baal and Asherah is the sun and the moon. Or in Greek mythology, you have Apollo and Diana, which are the sun and the moon. It's the same idea. So the sun is obviously the Zohar, the male force, and the moon is the female force. Right? So it's the same idea that the male force is mashpia, gives off influence, it provides, and the, the, the female force accepts it and then you know, builds upon whatever it receives. In the same way, the, 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 the male force is in the inside, and the female force is, is, is surrounds it. The Pasuk says, in the keva to save gever. The, the female surrounds the man. That's why the kala goes around the chasen seven times by the chuppah. Right? The, ch- the sun is like a chasen in a way. In Perak Shira it says that the sun, the shira of the sun is, it says, Hashemayim esapim kivaykel magira akia. That's what the shira of the sun is. And it says a few psukim later, it says, what about the sun? The sun is like a chasen coming out of his chuppah. So the sun is like, a, is like the male force. Right? And the Gemara says that, a person who's, who lives without a wife is like he's living without a wall. What's a wall? The wall surrounds, surrounds whatever is being protected. So the, nekeva, the force of the Nekeva also surrounds the Zohar. That's the idea of the, of, the, of the moon. So you have these different ideas of the sun and the moon, the day and night, whatever. Okay, so how does this work into Tereshim al-Sav and Tereshim al So there's a few ways you can say it. You can say it like this. In, in a Pashat way, you could say that Teresh B'chsav and Teresh Pez, like Zohar and Nekeva. Teresh B'chsav is the raw material, the raw seed that the Zohar provides, and the, and the Nekeva works on it. So Teresh B'chsav is like, it's the raw text, it's just there, it is what it is, and, and the Teresh B'chsav develops it more into something greater, something bigger than, than the actual source. That's one way of looking at it. Another way you could say it is that Teresh B'chsav is the focus on the on the on the giver, what does it say in Torah Shabbat Hashem It says The focus is on Hashem giving over the Torah. The focus is on the influencer, on the like. The, so that's why it has to do with the Shemesh during the day. What does it say in Torah Shabbat the focus is not on Hashem. The focus is on the, the people that received the Torah, how they understand it, and how they're saying it over. So there it's a focus on the recipient. So Torah Shabbat is Dafka Matim to the night, which is the moon. The moon is the, is the recipient. Another similar way you could say it is that like, the Torah Shabbat is, is a is a static text. It, it doesn't change. It, the text is what the text is. It doesn't, you know, there's no changes. There's no, there's no different Gersos. We, I mean, we don't work with different Gersos. And there's no Havamina Maskana. The Torah is, it's, it's, a, it's a static text. 
So it's the, the Shemesh, which the Shemesh is the same thing every day. It doesn't change. Masha Ink and the Tereshah Pez like the moon, because the moon is more fluid. It changes. It's, it's more fluctuations. By Tereshah Pez, you have a Havamina, you have a Maskana. Something changed between the Havamina and the Maskana. You have different Girsos. You have different, all kinds of different changes. You have, so the Tereshah Pez is, is a development. It's, it's, it's coming out like the moon. It's a, it, it, it waxes and wanes. So these are different ideas why Dafka Moshe Rabbeinu studied Tereshah Sav during the day and Tereshah Pad at night. There's a few questions you can ask. You can say, what do you mean? David HaMelech did, said, Ilkhari said, Tehillim at night. Right? So Tehillim is Tereshah Sav. So why does it say it at night? Maybe, hopefully, maybe we'll get, to, we'll get an answer to that. Okay, let's go right there. Ula Achar after 40 days, after 40 days, Moshe Rabbeinu took the Luchais and he came down to the camp, to the camp of where Klal Yisrael was encamped. Actually, it's not clear what the gear says. Is it either Shiber Asaluchais or Shavar Asaluchais? On the 17th of Tammuz, Moshe Rabbeinu was Shiber Asaluchais, means he smashed the Luchais, like a very intense way of doing it, or Shavar Asaluchais, he broke the Luchais. What does your gears to say? She bear. She bear. Okay. I would say that makes more sense. Makes more sense. Angry and he threw them. So she bear He smashed them. Vaharag es laite Yisrael, and he killed the cursed ones of Bnei Yisrael, meaning he killed the ones who had engaged in the worship of the the golden calf. The Ramban has a different girsa that he killed Vaharag es chaita Yisrael, the sinners of Klai Yisrael. Light means the curse. So like the, the cursed ones, where the cursed ones, those are the sinners. Could be it's the same thing. It's the, it's the same shot. There's what which word which word we does the major choose? Vaasa And Moshe Binu spent forty days in the Machna, in the camp of Bnei Israel. Ad Shasaraf is the Egel until he burnt the Egel, the Khitsay Ba'afar and he disintegrated it like the dirt of the land. And he killed everyone, executed everyone who had kissed the calf. Which the Radal points out that all these things happened on actually the day after the of Yud Zayin Tammuz. So this is all the day after. And the next thing, this is what really took him 40 days. And Moshe Benu cut off the existence of Avedizara from within Kal Yisrael. And the Radal says that means that he went around and tried to find who has some sort of small root, some sort of small inclination towards Avarizah, and he went and he chastised them and tried to bring them back to Tshuva so that they, you know, that it wouldn't grow into fruition, it wouldn't, it wouldn't blossom into fruition and become full-fledged Avarizah at a later point. That's what Meshav did. And he instituted each tribe in its place. Leradah explains that when, when Bnei Levi went and killed all those who had uh, worshipped the golden calf, so there was somewhat of a civil war amongst the Israel, so things became chaotic and people had moved around or whatever. So Moshe Rabbeinu spent time to just reorganize everyone and make sure that each person is with his own family, with his own shevet, etc. So it says that Moshe Rabbeinu spent 40 days doing this in the camp. So again, we had from Shavuos until um, Yud Zayin Tammuz, Moshe Rabbeinu was up, that was 40 days. Moshe Rabbeinu was up in the mountain getting, you know, the... The, the first Luchis. Yeah. From Yudzain, let's say Yudches Tabos, for the next 40 days, Meshavin was in the camp 
dealing with all these different issues that arise. He was trying to fix up, reorganize, get rid of uh, the roots of Avedah Zara, etc. Fix up everything. Yeah. So now that's forty days. Now where are we holding? We're holding a Chavtes Av, right? That that now it's Rishchidosh Elul, right? The day before Rishchidosh Elul, right? And now we're gonna after the Medrash talks about what happens Rishchidosh Elul. Okay. Now I'm sure you're wondering that this narrative is not what you're familiar with. Whoa! Right? The matter you're probably familiar with what Rashi and Chumash says. Rashi and Chumash says that Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Har Sinai for three periods of forty days. From Shavuos till Yud Zayin Tammuz, he went up to get the first Luchas. From Yud Ches Tammuz until Rishchidosh, till Chavtes of, he went up to ask for Mechila. And then from Rishchidosh Elul until Yom Kippurim, Moshe Rabbeinu was up there getting the second pair of Luchas. That's what Rashi and Chumash says. And Rashi is following really Seder Oilam Paragvav, which says this Pshat. And Rashi, as we've mentioned before, that Rashi usually goes with Seder Oilam. Right. So that's the Seder Elam's chat. Rash and Seder Elam go like that. And over here, we're saying a slightly different thing. We're saying, no, the first 40 days, yeah, we agree with the first 40 days. The second 40 days, no, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't go up Harsinai. Sinai. Moshe Rabbeinu was in the camp taking care of all these issues that came about. He was trying to get rid of the Vedas in the camp and trying to reorganize the, the Shvatim. He was in the camp. He didn't go up Harsinai Sinai the second 40 days. So what it seems over here is there's a Machlekes between Pekid Ebeliezer and Seder Elam, Machlekes. Now, it's interesting, there's two pieces of the Gra about this. The Gra in Adaris Eliyahu, Adaris Eliyahu in Parashas Kisisa, he writes, he brings this Machlekes, and he says that Pashib Shat in the Psukim sounds like Pekid Ebeliezer. And he and he um, endorses the Pshat of the Pekid Ebeliezer. He goes like the Pekid Ebeliezer. Which is interesting because like the mainstream Pshat is like Seder Elam and Rashi. And the Goyen doesn't go like that. The Goyen goes like Pekid Ebeliezer. He says that that's the, that's the Pshat and that's the Psukim. It, it, I mean it's true. It, it, I don't want to... It's too technical right now to take out a Chumash and, and go through the Psukim and see how really it could be the Goyen is probably right anyways. That the Pashup Shat and the Psukim does sound like Moshe Beda hung, uh, hung out. But he stayed in the Machana during the second 40 days. It's true. But that's not what they teach in the Chadar. You know, they te- we learn, we learn, we learn, I mean, I don't know about your Cheder. But we learn Rashi. Rashi says he went up for, for, for the second 40 days. Now the Goyen... There's another piece of the Goyen. The Gain in his Pirush on Seder Oilam also brings the Machlekes, Pekid Ebelezer, and the Seder Oilam. And the Gain says a different shadow over there. He, the Gain tries to reconcile these two explanations. The Radal calls it a Daichik. And it, it does sound very funny what the Gain does, but Lamaisa, he sort of bridges the gap between them. The Gain says that really, Moshe Rabbeinu, he didn't go up the mountain the second time for 40 days. That's not what he did. But he spent 40 days down in the Machna taking care of all these problems. But during those 40 days, every day he went up the mountain to Davin and came back down. So really both are right. Really he's, he was in the Machna for 40 days, for the second 40 days. And Seder Elam is also right that he went up for, for, during the second 40 days. Because each day he went up and came back down. That's how the Gain reconciles these two approaches of the Pirkei Zablaz and the Seder Elam. And now, if you want, you can go call up Kupa the ear and tell them, ah, you see, there's a school of 40 days, go dive in Harsina. It's a big thing. 
where do these things come from? It comes from like something like this. That Mary Shabbat went up for 40 days. He went, you know, you go to the crystal every day for 40 days. You go to the kiver or whatever for 40 days. That's like a similar idea. Right. Huh. Nice. We'll have Maybe. Fine. Says the Medish. Over Rishchidosh Elul, Omar Kiddush Bogol Meisha. On Rishchidosh Elul, Hashem said to Meisha, Alei Elai Hahara, come up to me on the mountain, to the mountain. So Hashem said, Meisha Benu, come back to the mountain, come come back up to me. Now the problem is that if Meisha Benu goes back up the mountain, uh, we're gonna have a problem over here because maybe people are gonna do a Vayizar like the first time he went up. So what do they do to get out of the problem? And you're gonna have to help me understand. How this helps, but you're gonna. This is what it says in the marriage. They passed a shofar through the entire camp, meaning they blew shofar through the whole camp. Because Moshe, because behold, Moshe is going up the mountain. So that people won't stumble, so people won't err after won't err again after Avedazar. How does this help? How does blowing the shofar help? Okay, well, we'll have to speak about it in this. In this. Let's just finish a few lines. And was brought up on that day through that shofar. It says the puzzle. Hashem Alikim goes up through the trua. Hashem goes up through the call of the shofar, through the voice of the shofar. And because of this, therefore, the rabbis. The sages uh, instituted shiyu taken by shefer b'shchedish elul b'chol shana b'shana that you should blow the shefer on b'shchedish elul every single year. Okay, so there's like a lot of things that we just read over here. Was what do they do here? They blew the shefer when Meshavinu went up the mountain so that people won't make a mistake after avodazar. How's the help? What do you say? I don't know. I don't know. The Radal wants to say that the sort of upshot is that blowing the shofar. First, it says that blowing the shofar sort of symbolized that, like, okay, we're guarding, we're making a gather, we're making a fence that we're not going to do a vedazar anymore. We're not. We're, this is like our establishing. We're not doing a vedazar. Not clear exactly how blowing the shofar did that. Then the Radal sort of says a different shot that blowing the shofar is a way of Establishing the Malchus of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. The Gemara in Sechus Rosh Hashanah says, right, Say in front of me, Malchus, in Musaf of the Musaf Shemana Esrei of Rosh Hashanah, so we say three special brachas. Malchus, Rosh Hashanah, so what's Malchus? Say Malchus in front of me, so in order to make me into your king. Right? And then it says, why do we say Zuchrenais? Kedeshiyala Zuchrencha Lafan of the Teva, so Hashem will remember us for good. And then it says, Ubame, and how do we, how should our, we all of this come about? Bashaifar, through a Shaifar. So the Radal draws from that Gemara that through the Shaifar, we bring out the Machus of Hashem. Bachatay says, we call Shaifar Haril Lufnea Melech Hashem. That's a pasuk in them. With chatzitzas and a call of the voice of a shofar, you cry out in front of Hashem. When the king comes, they blow trumpets in order to announce the coming of the king. So when you blow the shofar, you're announcing the coming of Hashem. 
and that brings out the cover of Hashem. So, so when Moshe Rabbeinu went up the mountain, they sort of they're announcing, you know, Hashem is is coming. Hashem is on his way, at least in, in, within the next forty days or so. So they blew the shofar in order to, to, to solidify that idea, in order to announce it. That that's pashup shad, sort of what's what's happening over here. Um, but it was only on one day, according to this. Rosh Chodesh That that's what. It, okay, so and right. He left. So, so that we, we blow every day, and you think every day you should remember. Oh. Don't, don't do it. Like that. And yet here it says. So that so 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 hold so hold on to that thought. We'll go get back to that thought in a moment. The Marami Rutenberg. One of the Gedolei Ashkenaz, Rishonim of Ashkenaz, Marami Rutenberg is a sefer called Minhagim Debe Maram. On page 37, the Miami Rutenberg writes that the reason why they blew Shafer when Moshe Rabbeinu went up the mountain is in order to confuse the Satan so that the Satan won't try to get them to get to do Avodah Zarah. That's why they blew the Shafer, to confuse the Satan so the Satan won't get them to do Avodah Zarah. That, that, that's what the Maram writes. And the Rosh, in the end of Nesachas Rosh Hashanah, the Rosh in the end of Nesachas Rosh Hashanah brings this piece of Pekadeblezer over there. And he he has a few uh, the the rush over there when he brings it he may, he adds another sentence he says so that they won't do avodah zarah and so that they'll do tshuva like the Rambam in Hilchos tshuva was it Perik Dalit Perik Hey I don't remember the Rambam writes what's the idea of the shofar even he said the Rambam writes specifically the Rambam writes even though the idea of a shofar is gzeres hamelech it's you know uh. A scriptural imperative. It's because that's the cause of the Torah says you have to blow shofar. That's what it is. But it also has some sort of symbolism because it's reminding you, wake up, you people from your slumber, and and do tshuva. That's what the Rambam says. So that's idea. There's a, there's like an inherent idea in the shofar to remind you to do tshuva. So the rush is sort of saying that that's why they blew shofar when Moshe went up to Har Sinai to remind people to do tshuva. Also, like probably like part of doing tshuva for the Cheder Eagle or something like that. That's what the Rosh writes. Uh, there's another Nakuda also in the Rosh. The Rosh writes like this. The Rosh brings our Medrash. And then afterwards, the Rosh writes that the Minig in Ashkenaz is that the entire month you blow Shaifer during the day and in the evening after, after davening. Hmm. And nowadays... We only do it in the morning after Shachris. But there are, I think Yekas maybe they do it also after Mairiv, I believe. Maybe some Yekas they do it also after Mairiv. That the, 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 the source is from this rush. That's the source for blowing Shafer during Elul. Now you're right. The two, now that's like this. The tour, so, so the rush brings our Medrash. The way we have it in front of us, it says that they blew it on Rosh, Rosh, on Rosh Chodesh Elul. And then it says, and the rabbis instituted you should blow it every year on Rosh Chodesh Elul. Specifically the first day. And the Rosh says, besides that, there's a minute to do it every day of Elul. So our, madr- our Madrash is not the, the direct source for blowing Shefer during Elul. It's, sort of, it's, it's derived from our Madrash. It's not directly. Our just says Rosh Chodesh Elul, and then they took, I guess, the, the minig became to take it a step further. The minig Ashkenaz was to take it a step further and blow every day during Elul. The, the, the Radal points out that the tour, when the tour in Simon Tov Kuf Pei Aleph in Archaim talks about this, the tour changes the Lushen of the Pekid Ebeliezer when he brings it, and he says, 
that they were mistaken that you should blow shofar b'chol shana v'shana or b'chol chaydish and the entire month. So the tour already brings Pinkus Abeliezer as the source for blowing shofar during the entire Elul. And Minaris Hamaor also has the same gear. So, did you find that? What in the, in the manuscripts of Pinkus Abeliezer? No, I did not. Maybe they had a different a different version. Maybe they're just taking the minig and, and interpreting Pekadabliyazer in light of what the minig was. But the Radal the Radal agrees with this with this Gersa that it says in the entire month. Because he is bothered by your question. He says, What do you mean? Why does it help that they won't stray after Avedazara to just blow the first day that he went up? The last time that they strayed, it wasn't the first day Moshe Benu left. It was, it was the last day. It was like the 39th day. They were saying Dafka should blow Erev Rosh Hashanah, which is the day we Dafka don't blow. Well, one second, one second. Okay. So, 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 he says, so he says that Avada, the, he says for sure the gears has to be that you have to do it the whole month. Every, you know, do it to blow every day so that they won't end up making a mistake. Okay, you're asking another question. You're asking, well, then it should come out that really the Iker day of blowing Shafer is going to be the day before Rosh Hashanah, even though nowadays our meaning is not to blow the day before Rosh Hashanah. Okay, it could be, but you're still not losing, you're still not losing the idea of blowing each day so that they won't stray after Avadazar. The reason why we don't blow on Erev Rosh Hashanah is you know, a more technical reason, because we want to make a separation between blowing of a minig and blowing of a chiv. What other reasons did you hear? Zev said, uh, because if you do it, or, or sorry, the, he brought a grog, the, the reason why we don't blow is because uh, if you do for Shloshim Yom, you create a Chazaka of some kind, and, and, and I don't understand that. Well, and then, so now what? If you don't do it for Shloshim Yom, so you do uh-huh. it for 29 days. Okay. Erev Rosh Hashanah being the Yom Shloshim. Yeah, there's, there's and, all... And then the question was, well, Shabbos we don't blow, but anyway, then they came around that, and they had a... Yeah, there's there's di- there's different minhagim over here about it. The, the Radal brings from the peer, from the Sefer Rekeach and Simon Reish Ches. The Rekeach writes that the minig was to blow from Rosh Chodesh Elul until Yom Kippur. We don't do that. We stop at Rosh Hashanah. We don't blow during Aseret Shemitshuva. But they used to blow during Yom Kippur, uh, not during during Aseret Shemitshuva all the way up until Yom Kippur. Which would actually make a lot more sense because it was Yom Kippur that he came down the mountain. Right. So there's no point to blowing. Right. Oh, oh wait, wait a second. We just. You just yeah, answered I mean, your question, by the way. Yeah, I just realized that that's not. Yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't Moshe come Rabbeinu down Erev Shay. He came down Erev Yom Kippur. Yeah, yeah, that's just for that also. But the the Radal says the reason why we don't we don't do like the Rekach because we understand that the source is the way the tour has the Girsa in the Pirkei Devliyazer, which just says B'Kol Shana U'B'Chol Achaydish, right? And then it's just that that it's just that month. It's just the month of El. It's not including the first few days of, of Tishri as well. So therefore, we only we only blow during Elul, and then when you know, okay, well, then we stop by Erev or Shoshana. Actually, in the Miami Rutenberg over there, he says that you stop three days before Shoshana. Hmm. He bring, he doesn't say don't do it Erev or Shoshana. He says don't do it for three days before Shoshana. Blow the whole Elul except for three days before Shoshana, which is interesting. I'm not, he doesn't explain why or whatever, but I don't know exactly what the reason of the Miami Rutenberg is. Another idea over here is the Miami Rutenberg says another reason why we blow Shoifer during the month of Elul. And the Miami Rutenberg says a sort of practical idea. Why do we blow Shoifer during the month of Elul? So the Miami Rundberg says that the Pshat is because you want to get used to doing the mitzvah. 
Just like we say, Shailim v'darshim binyanei achag, shleshim yem kodem achag. 30 days before Yantif, before Pesach, before Sukkot, whatever, you start discussing the halachas and getting into it or whatever. So too, before Shoshana, for 30 days, you want to practice blowing shofar. That's what Maram Rutenberg says. So, actually, Zevi Stark showed me in a sefer from Rosh Hashanah Zaman Arbach. Rosh Hashanah says a difference, a, naf- a halachic nafkamina between Maram Rutenberg's pshat and what we've been saying until now. If the idea is it has to do with tshuva and it has to do with not doing avoid zoro, it has to do with the zeicher for what happened over there by by matan Torah, so then who should blow a shayfar? It doesn't really matter who blows a shayfar. The point is that the shayfar was blown. But if you learn like the Miami Rutenberg that the point of blowing the shayfar during Elul is to practice doing the mitzvah of shayfar for Rosh Hashanah, it's the way of practicing for Rosh Hashanah. So then there's an Indian that specifically the same guy who's going to blow on Rosh Hashanah should blow the entire Elul. Because the whole thing is to practice. So who, what are you practicing for unless you're the guy who's going to be the one blowing? It's an interesting idea. I don't, what, what do people, what, what's the minute? People, it's usually the same guy or it's usually not the same guy? I don't know. I know that Edelstein blows on Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. And my shver blows during the week. Uh-huh. And then Rebbe Edelstein is standing there. Interesting. Not, not blowing. It's my shver, so. Yeah, I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting idea. If the whole thing is just to practice, so that's a lot of practice. I mean, it's not okay. It's not a lot of it's shloshim yom as you're saying, but still, it's not practice. Yeah. Okay. Before we go weiter, I wanted to speak about another new video over here. Okay. So we brought a pasuk. It says like this. It says, "Allah elikim b'srua Hashem b'kol shefer." Hashem went up with the trua. Allah Alekim, the Alekim went up with the trua. Hashem went up with the voice of the shofar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Mufarshim Chazal tell us there's a difference between when the pasuk when Torah uses first of all this pasuk Allah Alekim b'trua Tilim Mem Zayin is is the from that chapter of Tilim that we say seven times before we start blowing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. So Chazal tell us that the name of Hashem, of Hashem, and the name of Hashem, of Elikim, represent two different Hanhagas that we perceive of Hashem. That it looks like Hashem acts with us in two different ways. The word, the name Hashem represents when Hashem acts with us with Rachamim, and the name Elikim represents when Hashem acts with us with what we perceive to be Din. Elikim is Din, Hashem is Rachamim. Yeah. So what's the difference between Din and Rachamim? So we've already spoken about this a few times. But the difference is that when we talk about Rachamim, so the idea of Rachamim is a focus on the giver. When we focus on din, when we talk about din, the focus is on the receiver. Rachamim is, you know, I'm giving no matter what. I don't care about you. I'm just giving. Din is, well, first we're going to look at you and see whether you deserve it or not. And if you deserve it, then, then I'll give it to you. If you don't deserve it, I don't give it to you. Din is like, you know, withholding if you don't deserve it, if you're not ready for it or whatever. So first you have to look at the receiver before before you can decide. I've said, my, my, my Rebbe Abelio Margolis likes to say a mashal. Right? I've said the mashal before. You have a gvir, a philanthropist, you know, who gives away a lot of money. So he has two, two ways of giving away a lot of money. The first way is on Purim, 
he has already pre-written and pre-signed a whole bunch of checks. Every check is for $100. And anyone who comes to him, automatically he gives you a $100 check. Doesn't matter what you're collecting for, $100 check. The rest of the year, the way it works is you come to his dining room, you sit down with him, you tell him what you're collecting for, and he says, okay, you, you deserve $5. You, you deserve $10. You, $50, $100. You, $500. You, $1,000. Each person gets a different amount, depending on whether it's a worthy cause, whether it's not a worthy cause, etc. So the first, the first Hanhaga, the first way of acting is what we call Rachmim. Because just, he's just giving it out. He doesn't care whether you deserve it, you don't deserve it, who you are, whatever, I'm just giving it out. The second way, that's what we call din. Do you deserve what do you deserve exactly? Let's figure it out. The focus is on you, not on, not, not on the giver. The focus is on the receiver. Those are the two anhogas. Now, the idea of the shofar, the, the, the voice of the shofar, the sound of the shofar, the blowing of the shofar, is, 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 symbolizes the hashpa that we get from Hashem, the hashpa that the, the world receives from Hashem. It says in the Pasuk, when Hashem created man, which according to Rebbe Yezer, Pekiz Rebbe Yezer, happened on Rosh Hashanah, right? when Hashem created man, it says, ba'apov nishmas chayim. Hashem blew into a man's nose a living soul. Right? Hashem blew into man, and the Nefesh HaChayim speaks about how um, in order for the world to continue to exist, Hashem has to constantly be, quote-unquote, blowing into the world a shafa that will keep the world to continue existing. Right? So the shofar is miramis, the blowing into the shofar is miramis, is a remis to Hashem blowing into, into, into the world, giving us breath, giving us life. Uh, one of the differences between din and rachamim is that rachamim is uninterrupted, it's constant, it's a, it's a continuous flow. When you talk about din, so din is an interrupted flow, because din, I have to stop and see. Do you deserve it? You don't deserve it? Okay, I'll give you now. Wait, now you don't deserve it. Okay, now I'm going to stop. Now you deserve it. I'll give you a little bit more. Now you don't deserve it. It's, it's you know, stop, go, stop, go. Right? Masha'en ken rachamim is just one complete flow. So I was makabo for my rebbeim that that's the idea of a trua. A trua is the idea of din. A trua is... It's multiple sounds together. It's either three sounds or nine sounds or three and then nine sounds, right? It's not one continuous sound. It's, it's a bunch of... It, 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 there's, it goes, stops, goes, stops, goes, stops, etc. That's like din. Where the din is, it's not a continuous flow. It's a, it's a flow that's, you know, according to, according to what you deserve, according to what's needed. That's the idea of trua. So that's... On your din. Well, on Yom Din. So that's why it says over here, listen to this. That's why it says over here, Allah Elikim Bitrua. Elikim goes up with Trua. Because Elikim is Midas Adin. So Elikim is brought out through the Trua. The idea of Midas Adin is brought out through the Trua. But Hashem is with Kal Shaifar. Kal Shaifar means the Tkia. Hashem, which is, which is the idea of Hashem is brought out through the call of the Shaifar, of the, of the Tkia, which is the, the straight flow, the straight sound. Without any interruptions. That's how you understand. That, that, that's how the. That's how this pasuk over here. Although the kim b'shua Hashem bekol shayfar. There's another aspect. This is mamish very interesting. The the, the sifra kabbalah speaks about on Rosh Hashanah we do something called mesikas uh, adinim, sweetening the din, making the din sweet. So what does that mean? You make the din sweet. So. 
in a in in a crude physical muscle, I can say that you take a din, yeah, which is I'll call it bitter, or it seems to be bitter, and you dip it into something sweet. Yeah? You take an apple, which is not necessarily so sweet, and you dip it into honey, which is sweet. You take the din and you're making you're making the din sweet now. That's the idea of dipping an apple into honey, you're being mamtik the dinim. You're taking an apple and you're making it into something sweet. So the trua is, is the same thing. The trua is the is the din. It's a harsh dinim, maybe hopefully not, but trua is, is din. So what do you do? You dress it up. You take a tkia, which is rachamim. You put a tkia before it. You put a tkia after it, and you you you, you sweeten the, the trua. Now it's not just now it's just it's not just a, a trua on its own. It's a trua with some with a little bit of rachamim before, a little bit of rachamim after, and that's the sweetening of the dinim that the Sifra Kabbalah are speaking about on Rosh Hashanah. And that the the, the Kabbalah say that tkiyas shayfer is mamtik the dinim. That's what they say. Tkiyas shayfer is mamtik the dinim. How so? So they say because the tkiyah before and the tkiyah after the true, uh, the tkiyah before the true and the tkiyah after the true sort of. I don't say neutralize, but sort of make it tone down the din. They make it a little bit sweeter. And the Ramban himself, Ramban actually, Parshas Amar, writes that Rosh Hashanah is Yom Din Berachamim. What is that? He says Rosh Hashanah is Yom Din Berachamim, and Yom Kippurim is Yom Rachamim Bedin. We'll leave Yom Kippurim aside. But what does it mean that Rosh Hashanah is Yom Din Berachamim? So you could take it literally. It's din, it's the apple. Inside rachamim, it's dipped in rachamim. It's dipped in honey, and honey is obviously the the, the sweetest type of thing that's that's possible. It's like the epitome of sweetness. When the, when the, when when Dovid Melch writes in Tilim that the Torah is the sweetest thing, so he says Misukim It's even sweeter than honey, right? What what could be sweeter than honey to say that, it, that the Torah is sweeter than that? Nothing. That's why he said honey, right? That's the 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 dinim the mamtik the dinim of Yom Kippur of Rosh Hashanah. I'll call him so you can say like this that the day, as we we said before, that the day is a focus on the mashpia on the one who's giving hashpa. The sun is the mashpia is the one who gives influence. Right, so the day is a time of rachamim. The night is a time of din because it. You know, the night is typified by the moon. The moon is a recipient. And when we focus on the recipient, that's what din, is, what din is. So the question is, so why do we say slichus at night? Okay, if you say slichus during the day, so it makes sense, because day is rachamim. But what about night? So it seems like there's two types of night. There's a night, the first part of the night. The first part of the night is when the sun is going away. It's getting, or whatever, we're turning farther and farther away from the sun. We're getting away from the sun. So when it's going away, that's harsh dinim. Dinim kashim. Which we want Hashem to save us from. We don't want to get involved with dinim kashim. We don't, we don't play around. So the first part of the night, till the middle of the night, is harsh dinim. We don't want to get involved. We don't say slichas during, during time of harsh dinim. You know, the best thing to do is to run under a rock and hide. You know that that's what you do in the time of harsh dinim. From midnight till the till the beginning of the day, we're getting closer and closer to the sun. So the din is there. It's still din because there's no sun out, but it's sort of dissipating. It's coming closer and closer to the day. There, you already have an opening that it's in in certain ways. It's a time of rachamim, and now you could now you could say slichas. 
So that's why you have to wait dafka till chatzais of the night. Tonight we're going to say slichas. I mean, some people will say slichas after chatzais, because then it's starting to the the, the rachamim is starting to come out after chatzais, because we're getting closer to the sun. The sun is coming up soon. And I wanted to say that that's also the pshat and davar melch. We said that tereshi bichsav you're supposed to do during the day. Tereshi al pei is supposed to do at night. And I asked the question, what do you mean? David and Melech, Pasuk says, in Tilim, I think Kufya Tess, I wake up in the middle of the night to, to praise you. And the Gemara talks about how David and Melech had a, a harp, and the wind would blow in the middle of the night and wake him up, and then he'd start davening, or whatever. The Gemara and Brachas has a whole, whole story about it. But what do you mean? I understood that he was saying Tilim. Maybe you can have a different understanding. But I understood he was saying Tilim. Because what else was David and Melech saying, right? That's more opinion. What? That he would wake up at that time and say... Shvachos. Shiras is Shvachos. Shiras is Shvachos. There's definitely one opinion. There's several opinions there. He would learn. Or learn. Or, yeah, okay, fine. But let's say he was saying Shiras is I understand that that's Tilim. So why was he saying Tilim? Tilim is Hirsh Bachsav. It's at night. So the answer is because it's after Chatzais. After Chatzais is not the harsh dinim of the rest of the night. After Chatzais is already an opening for Rachamim. Okay, that's that's my thoughts on on that pasuk of Allah Kim Bishua Hashem Bekal Shayfar. What time is it? Nine thirty. Want to stop here? Or you want to do a few more lines? What do you say? Mm. We'll do a few more lines. Rav Kana Oimer. Rav Kana says the other gear says Rav Tachana Oimer. Rav Tachana says because Rav Kana was a Moraic sage. Rabbi Kahana? Rabbi Kahana. Aha, that's an interesting gear. So, see, Rav Kahana is an, is an Amaira, and Pikadibli Ezra was before the Amairaim, so it's very hard to have the gifts of Rav Kahana. Rav Tachana is someone who's never mentioned anywhere else except for later on in Pikadibli Ezra and Perak Nun Gimel, which it would seem, assuming that he's, an, he's some sort of Tana. Okay, but you have a different Rabbi Kahana. Which Rav is not even a No, it is. Pasha, it could be not, I don't know. Al-Kapan, the Radal likes this gift of, of Rav Tachana because he says that the Seder Darius also has that gift. But my, my pick of the list of the text says Rav Tachana. <laughs> Whoever it was, he said, The tablets were not created from the earth, they were not created from the, the world, let's say the physical world, the Aretz, they were from the heavens, from the, from the spiritual world. The handiwork of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Let's say the The luchos, the tablets, are the product of Hashem. They are the product of Hashem. Hema What does it mean? Hema. Hema means like they are. It's 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 superfluous to say that. You could just say the luchos are ma'aselikim. Why does it say hema? As if like they're there. So it says hema haluchos They are there. From from before, from from way back when. It's from the ten things that a Kodesh Baruch Hu created Erev Shabbos Ben Hashmashos, like we spoke about way back when in Kimhu, And the script is the script of Hashem. It's the script that was from way back when. Again, one of the ten things that Hashem created Erev Shabbos Ben Hashmashos, during during the days of creation. Chorus alaluchis. The pasuk says, "Vahaluchis ma'aselakim hema v'michtav michtav alakim hu chorus alaluchis." Engraved on the luchis. So 
the, the Bayez HaGadol explains that the word engraved, usually we say chakuk. Engraved is chakuk. Engraved on the luchas. Why do we use a different word of charus on the luchas? To mean also, which also means engraved. It's sort of not standard usage. So from that, the Medrash says, Atikri charus, don't read it as charus, engraved, charus. Rather, you should read it as charus. Charus meaning free. And Chazal and other... I mean, the, the, the Braisa in Mesachas Avas at the end, called um, Parak Kinyan Torah, so there it says, Rabbi Shul ben Levi says, Ein l'cha ben Tairin ala misha isek So that's called freedom. Freedom is learning Torah. But there's another Nukuli here also, Chazal tell us that when Chal Yisrael originally accepted the Torah, so they were charus, meaning charus mimalach amavas. They were free from the clutches of the angel of death. They were no longer Chayv Misa, because when Adam Arishan sinned by the Chayt of the Eight Sadas, so the Gemara says that the Nochash Hitil Zuma, it, it gave a certain Zuma, a certain dirtiness into mankind, that that made it that death came into the world. Sort of like a Jewish concept of original sin. You know, the, uh, a dirtiness that caused it, that, man, that man is going to die. But when they said Nasev and Nishma, so now they became above that. They lost that Zuma. But they still lost the Zuma. It says in the Pasuk, I said that you are Elihim, you are like an angel. You are like angels. All of you are like angels. However, but like Adam, like Adam, you're going to die. Right? When they sinned by the hate of the Eagle Azov, so the Xera that mankind has to die came back. This is a shadow exactly how to understand it. doesn't mean that. Achin Kadam Tumusun means that just like Adam dies because of the sin of the Eitz Hadas, so now you also are going to die because of the sin of the Eitz Hadas. Meaning, you transcended the level of Adam when you said Nasav Nishma, and then when you did the Eagle, so you went back down to the level of Adam. So now you're just like everyone else. Or is it Pshad that no, when you said Nasav Nishma, you transcended the level of Adam. And you're no longer, you're above, you're above death. But now that you did the chit of the eagle, so now the chit of the eagle is what's the reason why you die. Not because of the chit of the eagle, that's what the reason why people, why Jews die is because of the chit of the eagle. Or no, the chit of the eagle just brought them back to the level of everyone else in the world that, that people die because of the chit of the eagle. So it's a shallow how to, how to understand it. Why do Jews die? Is it because of the chit of the eagle or is it because of the chit of the eagle? When Hashem said to Moshe Beno, uh, engrave for yourself two stone tablets, so the Medrash says, A machtsev is a, um, let's say, a chisel that could chisel sapphire, was created for Moshe Beno inside his tent, and he used that. To, to to engrave the the tablets. Right. Uh, uh, and the right one second. The, chisel? What do you mean to, to carve out the tablets themselves, not actually the words on the tablets, or also the words on the tablets? It seems like it's talking about the words of the tablets as well. I thought it was meaning carve out two new tablets, and then I guess I thought Hashem would write on them. That's, uh, so, so, so the MS is, I didn't really look into this, I didn't prepare it, but there is a whole question about who wrote the second tablets. 
Did Moshe Benu write it or did Hashem write it? Who wrote the words of the second tablets? I, uh, if you want, I could try to I could try to come up with some Marmukhaimas about it for next week. Al Kapan the Radal brings that there's a different Medish that says that that this thing that he used to chisel it was created also from Sheshis and Mebraishis, just it was revealed to Mesha now. Here it sounds like it was created now and then Mesha Bainu saw it in his tent. It was created there. I don't know. Okay, fine, I guess we'll stop over here. And Be'ezer Hashem, we will meet again next week. Any questions? Mm-hmm.